What? A second series? Who ordered that? Well, you can be sure to expect more of the same. Coarse language, dubious mathematics, and borderline inappropriate humour. Mathsat is back, and this time it's personal. That doesn't even make sense. Maths at the movies, where simply put, we try to critique movies from a mathematical point of view. Joining me now and forevermore are two saddle points and an unstable node, known as the fabulous Ben Parker and the bifurcating Liz. How are you two doing? Very well, oh, very well. well. I've missed you boys terribly, honestly. It's been, it's been very difficult. Excellent. Oh, oh that's nice. So nice. Oh. It's been a while, you know. I've just been enjoying not having to edit all these podcasts together. I've, I've, to be honest, I've been enjoying the, the... Oh, you're such a slacker. Such a typical academic, really Tom. I'm just surprised we got commissioned for a second series. Well, this is true. I mean, the only commission I get is, you know, whatever I find down the back of the sofa. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. But I should mention that we are not just the three of us oh. uh, starting oh. this second series. We, have, we are joined by a super secret special guest. The one, the only, the fabulous Dr. Vince Knight of Cardiff University. Hello. Everyone, round of applause. Hello. 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 Welcome, Vince. Welcome, Vince. Hello. How are you, sir? Uh, very well. Thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. I, I, I've listened to, I, I believe, all the episodes. Uh, so, yeah, it's nice to be on. Um, in that case, can I apologise for the last episode, which was very rude, and I had no idea Tom was going to leave any of it in. <laughs> what choice did I have? What choice did I have? Uh, and I've got to say, my mother was very disappointed in the language list. So I know, I know. I felt terrible. <laughs> would you like to? Would you like to take a moment to say sorry to to Marwoolly? Marwoolly. I'd like to say I'm sorry. I was led astray by Ben Parker. Um, yeah. you made I did. I did. I, I, I've got to say, I did edit out all of Ben's swearing and just left yours in. So that, <laughs> yeah. that was a bit mean of me. But anyway, so Vince, could you give us a, a brief blurb of why we have you on today's podcast? Because I should mention that where the film where we watched to talk about today uh, is A Beautiful Mind, the biopic of John Nash starring Russell Crowe. So what makes you the best person to join us on today's podcast to talk about A Beautiful Mind? The, the best person is probably a, a, a questionable definition, but, uh, but yeah. So... <laughs> what makes you the nearest person? <laughs> so nearest is that my office is downstairs from yours, Thomas, and then... Uh, and that thing is game theory is my my specific uh area of interest uh, mathematically so I'm, I'm a mathematician at cardiff university and uh, and i study um, game theory um excellent is, what drew what drew you to game theory what what, what about it um, sparked a mistake actually um uh, excellent <laughs> so it was uh doing some uh, research on uh patient choice uh in the nhs and uh, it's kind of a whole area of mathematical of, of, of applied mathematical research, uh, looking at patient choice, and um, I thought that implied that it was a game theoretic area that people we wanted to see how people chose. So I I started reading up about game theory and looking up about game theory, and then I was told, oh no no, we meant we meant competition, um, and so, <laughs> so that kind of stuck. And uh, yeah, that's that's been it. But I mean, I'm, I I think maybe I cheated a bit because I also think it's such a fascinating area uh, of research because it's got so many applications and we'll probably talk about yeah. this a little bit more in, in the thing and in, uh, in when we talk about the movie but it's such a a cool uh, a cool subject to, to study in that it's it's interesting it's applicable and it's applicable in so many ranges of, of disciplines which is kind of why indeed, they made the indeed. movie i mean you know there are, there are so many ways you can look at it and see it as a game you know any decision you make can be considered as a form of game yeah. theory but uh... yeah. oddly enough my uh, my master's dissertation was on like parent choice in the education sector so we should write a paper together that sounds sounds very interesting yeah <laughs> hold on you hold on oh, i thought we were writing a paper together unbelievable you taking my collaborators if I, if but if, if next week i'm out of here and it's you vince and ben i will not be happy i will not be happy but um so yeah we, we should actually expand on that point because you actually do a lot of work uh on the nhs in terms of queuing and logistics all, all from a game theory point of view 
I mean, can you talk about any of that, or is it all top secret? Uh, no, no, no. It's it's perfectly. Uh... Well, what I can talk about, I can talk about. Um, so, no, uh, yeah, so one of, the, one of the research groups I'm in in the school looks at um, modeling healthcare uh, systems uh, using mathematics. So, um, for example, looking at waiting lists. And one of the, one of the first pieces of work uh, I did in this area was saying, like, if we allow individuals to choose hospitals, that was a big, mm, mm, a big mm. political decision at one point was whether or not uh, patients were, would be allowed to choose hospitals. Would what, that help or would it hinder? Would, exactly. What would it, would it help or would it hinder? And obviously one of the, without us going all of a sudden down a, a huge political <laughs> discussion. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Leaving politics outside <laughs> of this, which is often yeah. what we have to do. But the, the, the logic being, if hospitals can attract our choice, then they will improve their performance, right? And so that's a, ah, that, that, that's a logic. But, but does that work? Because are hospitals competing with Well, that's, that's the thing. By introducing choice, you introduce competition, and theoretically, competition will improve service theoretically but hold on as i see it it goes the other way hospitals would like to have less patients so they will appear to be less competitive Theori- don't come to uh, us theoretically but even if it's not you know like <laughs> if from the point of view of you know oh well if if vince when he breaks his leg okay breaking the leg's a terrible choice because you'll just go wherever but uh you know if, if i'm gonna <laughs> if i'm gonna have if, um, if there's a specialist cancer unit somewhere yeah yeah, yes. yeah or even something less less tragic you know um i'm gonna get hair implants say uh i get to choose between a hospital that's got a very nice coffee shop or a hospital that doesn't i'm more likely to go to the one that has a nice coffee shop i don't think you need hair implants i think you look lovely (laughs) thank you very much thank you very much he he didn't say it was on his head though did he (laughs) (laughs) i i I implied it by pointing at my head but yes and um so that was one of the things, but that that's these these two vectors is competition and choice. But obviously, one of the big things in the NHS and in public public healthcare systems uh, altogether is um, uh, waiting lists. That that there's yes. you know there's yeah, huge yeah. huge waiting lists, and uh, one of the things that's immediate by uh, allowing individuals to choose the queue that you go to, mm. the queues the queues become longer. If everyone chooses the shortest queue. It's a very simple game theoretic argument to show that actually all queues get longer. Oh my um, god, are you the best person to go to the supermarket with in the world? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> my wife, um, and, and I have a I have a real real wife. Uh, Welcome to season two, and Lorraine is still not real. <laughs> um, it's all getting a bit beautiful mind, a bit early, isn't it? But no, but... <laughs> it, it is, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> But to answer your question oh, is no, no. My my wife always says, "Well, come on, which queue should we go to?" You know, in in here, and I'm like, "Well, the yeah, be useful, you be useful." <laughs> I don't know if you know, but I did. Um, you know, my PhD was sort of statistics of queues and stuff. Um, so I learned a bit about. Oh my god, you guys should write a paper. A then we could all do papers together. <laughs> we should do all papers together, and I'll go do but, some spots in the background. But I have this. Um, I have this problem. Whenever I, uh, you know, I, I I was queuing in the most optimal way at a um, railway station. And obviously the optimal, right. fairest, fairest way is to have what we call post office queuing, where you have, you know, 10 counters, but one queue. So the person at the front of the yeah. queue goes to whatever window is open. OK, so the person, sure. that get, person that gets there first will always get served first. OK, not like in a supermarket where you have, you know, 20 aisles and you have to guess which queue to get in. Yes, because yeah, yeah, there you might just be unlucky. You might get stuck behind the old lady who's buying, you know, seventy three peas individually or whatever she does. Um, but anyway, I was I was forming an <laughs> I was forming an optimal queue at the railway station, and this ch- I right. was in a in a in a post office style queue. I was the only person okay. in this queue, and a guy came and stood next to me. Is it a queue if you're the only person? Yes, in it? I think. Yes, you're. this okay. guy came and stood next okay. to me, and he said, "Oh, which one are you waiting for?" And I said, oh, whichever one comes up first. And he said, oh, you're not allowed to do that. And I was trying to I, I was trying to explain to him with three years of mathematical research as to <laughs> which queuing system was optimal. And he wasn't having any of it. He was telling me that at a railway station, you weren't allowed to queue like you did at a post office. You had to queue like you were at yeah. a supermarket, which is just ridiculous. Mag- so who won the argument? I think I was bigger than him, so I think I won. But um... oh, yeah, okay, no, very nice. Okay, but no, Vince, you were saying something. Else. They were completely correct, right? Because fundamentally, optimal is a question of 
definition, right? So oh, what from, are you optimizing? Yeah, what are you optimizing? And so they 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 chose what was right for them, which is to immediately choose the best queue, right? Um, yeah. well, let's go back to the thing you mentioned. So giving people a choice yeah. breaks the system completely. So is there any kind of a small? Uh, you said you know you follow the maths and see that yeah. happen. I completely believe you. Is there any intuition why we all suck at this? Um, because no one sucks at it, <laughs> and so by, oh. on average that means that some of us must. Um, so right, 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 right. So like to go back to what what you were just saying, Ben, about the um the post office queue versus the supermarket queue. The and a bit of a reason for this is that a a, a post office queue there is no choice, right? There is a single yes, queue. Yes, whereas yeah. in in a supermarket queue, someone has to choose the wrong queue, right? Because someone will right. choose the right one. Right. So um, as soon as there are options available to us, we will make suboptimal decisions so yeah okay and so as i say i think this has been the most interesting and useful podcast we've ever done so far so i'm, I'm looking forward to the math zone but before we get to the math zone we have to talk about the movie so everyone to the movie zone so um this week we watched A Beautiful Mind, um, which is the story of John Nash, um, a famous mathematician who overcame his struggle with schizophrenia in order to win a Nobel Prize. I had never seen this film, so I was very interested in watching it because it has a huge amount of praise. And I got halfway through it and thinking, uh, I, I, I had never seen, oh, by the way, twist, it's all in his mind. And I, I didn't know about that twist. So I was watching it thinking... Why did he really have a car chase? Was he really shot at? And it all gets to the point where it's all in his mind. And so you have to wonder, is there any benefit in watching this film? Because it's not his life. Uh, it's not all in his mind, right? Like there's this side, there's this side thing that's, that's in, in his mind. But you still that. But that's what... most of the first act. But also, we're learning about his experience. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that was the idea. Because having read into it, they they did want to give you the audience that uh, sense of not knowing what was real and what was. Are you yeah. saying you have a problem with fiction? I mean, you not watch. <laughs> you don't watch Doctor <laughs> well, no, Who. Here's actually something I noticed: that no point during this film does it say based on a true story. Oh, well, that's okay. because it's not. Um, it, I mean, it's only incredibly loosely based on his on his life, and they leave out lots of really important detail. But this is the thing: there was no maths in it. You could have ah. made this story about anyone. That, that's, that's true, right? The, the main concentration is certainly about his the, the dealing with an the mental health issues he had. Yeah, but there are fu- fundamentally two kind of trends that are throughout the movie. First of all, his early desire and you know, almost kind of like passion for recognition. And that kind of trend mm. comes a lot out. And I think that actually was really good because it, it probably does kind of give an insight into mathematicians or researchers or something um, okay. on various levels. Okay. But then also, actually, there's this other trend of the mathematical theory that he developed that keeps on coming out and into the story of this uncooperative behavior. So you could take those things out of the movie and it would be the same movie, but they're in it because that's who he is. I thought it was probably quite a good film. I really, I know, I, I understand it had artistic merit, but I couldn't help the fact that I hated it. I hated it. Oh my God. Oh, I hated yes, it. I didn't watch this. And there is the scene in the bar where he talks about the game theory of picking up women. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun with Liz. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, that's not even my biggest objection to it from a feminist point of view. I think there is a thing that, you will all object to, and Thomas and Ben, you have both objected to this before, is the idea that kind of they have to make him incredibly socially awkward, ver- find people very difficult. Oh, yes, order- and yeah, yeah. I'm going to declare an interest that my dad had schizophrenia. And let me tell okay. you that it, it's perfectly possible to be inc- really like sociable and lovely and have schizophrenia. That's, you know, and so I think they were kind of trying to say that it's because he was such a genius that he was terrible with people but it's like it's alan cheering all, all over again who they portray yeah, as yeah, having yeah. i mean it's a, it's a trope it's a standard trope of mathematicians having this also i would suggest that the 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 distribution of socially awkward mathematicians in the movie is probably mm. quite realistic right because all <laughs> the others all the other mathematicians are are you know they're 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 very 
cool or yeah, like, or want, want yeah, a better yeah. word. I, 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 that's a good point. I hadn't realised, but you're quite right, Vince. I mean, my beef from a feminist perspective was that okay, here we go. Right, wife, here we go. There is no reason. Yep. It's such a bullshit male fantasy <laughs> that this absurdly beautiful, flirtatious, like personable woman falls for this well, guy who, who, who brings nothing. He brings nothing. He's he is like as far as I can tell, he's not nice to her. He's not particularly handsome. Like it's I mean, not saying that Russell Crowe isn't very handsome, but just kind of the way he's kind of <laughs> the way he's made up in the film. You know, there's just no idea that she. You'd have to consider whether how she would feel or whether her feelings are realistic yes, in the film because yeah, yeah. all she is is a prize, and then she fulfills the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate male fantasy where she puts him first over her children and dedicates her life to looking after him, even though she's obviously also a maths graduate. I wouldn't say she was a prize, she was more of a mothering figure. But from a from a feministic point of view, I, I would almost suggest that the movie does a good job of portraying how far we've come and how far we still need to go in that, you know, in the 50s, there were no women in that very first scene, right? Where, you know, it does kind of portray the reality of the time was that there were no women around. I, I think I clocked it was 45 yeah, minutes yeah. when when she first says something, right? Yes. And I'm not saying that necessarily the movie's bad because of that, but that the times were bad. I, I, I mean, I completely, I, you know, I could totally see what you say. And, like, it's always really hard to talk about stuff like this because it's like it's really it's really easy easy for people to be like you're sexist no you're sexist and obviously everyone is doing their best but i think one of the things i always think about films like this is that there were women then 50 percent of the population were women it's just they don't tell their story um but but because but it's not as interesting that they weren't in that story right they weren't they were not women that were phd students at princeton right which is which is which is her horrible and but i think the, mm. the, i think the movie does a good job of showing that by their absence yeah i mean that is that is certainly true but um but anyway and also i feel i feel like i went a bit far i'm not suggesting that all men have a fantasy that a woman should put their child <laughs> for it's just it was just kind of it, it was her lack of agency one of the things in um russell crowe's oscar acceptance speech for this movie right um was... He won an Oscar for this. I didn't know this, that. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. The, the movie won four Oscars. So she won an Oscar. He won an Oscar. The movie won an Oscar, and um, the director won an Oscar. Um, oh right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there you, go. It's, um, you know, in in Russell Crowe's Oscar speech, he uh, you know he does a quick thing where he thanks everybody, and then he goes and thank you to John and Alicia, so John Nash and yeah, and his yeah, wife yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for living this wonderful love story. And I think uh, I I cry very easily at movies and. Like, one of the touching scenes for me at the end was almost where it does come full circle and he essentially dedicates his entire life to her, which, again, is, you know, is a is a sexist stereotype of, of how we make everything better. Also, also, didn't happen. They got divorced. But they got back together. They did get back together. There was a number of problems with the movie, and I think it, you know, links back to the uh, imitation game with Alan Turing. So in very in, in a number of ways, these films are very similar, you know, with the main character I mean, I, having... think, we could, I could think we could write our own movie. Okay. Do you think uh, from all the tropes that we've seen now, we could produce? Yeah. Scene opens. Mathematician delivers thirty-second lecture, which he concludes. You know, <laughs> and that's the proof of the Riemann conjecture. Okay. During this lecture, okay. fa- during this lecture, fabulously gorgeous member of the opposite sex comes in. They fall instantly in love. Um, at the same time. <laughs> Uh, the mathematician proves some important result, uh, ends up deranged, starts talking to people that aren't there, i.e. their dead father, stroke, uh, yeah, CIA handler, stroke. Okay, um, right. Um, and I then, think that might be going along the lines of plagiarism at this moment. Then, you, you are just stealing the plot. But, no, but this is what happened. This is what happened in uh, in Pi. This is what happened yeah. in... Um, what's the movie with the woman that has sex with somebody at the, at the funeral? Um Proof. Uh, oh, proof. Proof, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how you remember it. Yeah, uh, oh God, it was awful. I tried to blot it out, and it's just that, that bit <laughs> oh, comes back. So, so at least four movies we've watched now has deranged mathematicians that are trying to prove... She does mem- remember her dead father, doesn't she? I forgot yeah, she about she makes up yes. people. Same thing happens in Pi. Oh, wow. Um... Like, um, what about the Alan Turing thing? He went crazy as well, and th- something. No, 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 no. He doesn't. He's just. He. He just has 
personal personal problems, you know, interacting with people. He, he never... Uh, he was a persecuted gay man. <laughs> well, I mean, well, there is... Yes, of course, there, there is that whole... If you want to call that personal problems. But... I mean, I think, I think uh, at, the, at the end of the film, though, the, 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 that the terrible things he's gone through have taken their, their toll on his mental yes. health. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. you have to set it in a pretty college in, like, the middle years of the 20th century. Like it's selection bias as well, in that the movies that get made are the movies about where these things. You know, oh, are true. I mean, selection bias is a huge thing with all of these, yeah. you know. But we haven't great had like, movie. We haven't had Andrew Wilde's the movie where his seminal proof is delivered oh. delivered in some dodgy seminar room at the East End of Cambridge, have we? Guys, or, should um, we make it? Should we make Andrew Wilde's the movie? And we'll we'll do exactly <laughs> what a beautiful mind does with John Nash's life. We'll just like make I it mean, like we'll like. Sex it right up. We, we we need to be careful about what we say about Andrew Wiles because he's still alive and can sue us. He but, is. But let's he call is. him. Also, was John Nash when this was? Let's made. call him Daniel Wiles. So, you know, does Daniel Wiles <laughs> have sort of severe and dangerous um, mental health issues and a MI5 handler? Oh, wasn't it in the Oxford Murders where it was Bormat's theorem? So we'll have Daniel Wiles <laughs> solving Bormat's theorem. Um... Followed by the CIA. Yeah. Okay. I, I like. By the end of this series, I want a fully fleshed out script. I like this. We'll, we'll take more tropes like this. This is good. This my is good. my problem with the film, just generally, without talking yes. about the maths, is there was yes. some good maths, interesting stuff in the first half hour, and then really, well, like, it was quite a nice introduction, and you thought, oh, something's going to happen. He pushed a piano out of the window, and then kind of like there was a lot of made up stuff. And like it wasn't as satisfying. I think I think the, the the bit about his sort of you know gradual descent into madness and his ultimate salvation was just a bit long for me. I wanted to see more mathematics. It has been said that uh, Nash never actually had hallucinations. He he always had auditory hallucinations. And so I, I mean I did look this up. He has given a quote that he he liked the movie. John Nash actually liked A Beautiful Mind, but he has said it wasn't him. I was just going to say the thing I hate most about John Nash. Yes. His PhD thesis, <laughs> 28 pages. 28 pages. Who does a PhD in 28 pages? My newspaper's longer than that. Two of which were appendices. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Have you read it? Not back to back, but I mean... Fundamentally, it's I'm not. I'm saying I'm using the word simple in a very sure, mathematically sure, sure. obnoxious way, yeah. you know. But the the actual like what it's doing is yeah one one brilliant idea and a, and a very clever clever. But I mean, also what I what I quite like was uh, I, again something I didn't know. Vince told me this was that he had a reference. Uh, I mean, Vince, you tell the story about the reference. I love this. Uh, he his letter of recommendation to Princeton reads, Dear Professor Lefschetz, I should have checked how to pronounce that, this is to recommend Mr. John F. Nash Jr., who has applied for entrance to the Graduate College of Princeton. Mr. Nash is 19 years old and is graduating from Carnegie Tech in June. He is a mathematical genius. Yours since... That was it. And then a And that's it. Just, that was it. he is a genius. <laughs> Full stop. End of sentence. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's... Kind of like one of the, and in the final final scene of the movie, well, one of the final scenes of the movie where uh, he's being told he's being considered for the Nobel Prize, right? He's like, oh, for, for that thing? You know, the <laughs> thing that he's, that's named after him. For, for that thing, I've, do they know about my work on manifold theory? Yes. Do they know about my work on, on number theory? You know, and he, he was he was a, 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 a tremendous mathematical well, genius. Well, they're saying I, that. I've I, looked, I, he only wrote... 30, 40 papers, but, isn't it? Yes, and that's something that I think they do really well in the movie, is show how much of his life was taken well, I mean, But also, I think what I got from it, you know, to talk about the character, was that he really wanted the good ideas. He wasn't a, you know, a treadmilling academic where, you know, do that epsilon change. He wanted recognition. You know, you know yeah. do this, you know, oh, I can, I see your theory, I'll change it a little bit, publish, and then I'll change it and publish. He yeah. was looking for that idea which would change yeah. the field. It, he didn't care about the dotting I's and crossing T's kind of maths. So a lot of mathematicians must have the experience that at school they are considered to be some kind of mathematical genius. Sure. And then like you get to university and you might be one of the best, one of yeah. the better mathematicians. And then you might get to kind of postgraduate level and you're like, <laughs> oh shit, I'm actually just a normal postgraduate mathematician. Is that, do, you, do you get a lot of people who are very arrogant? Well, I, it's one of these yeah. things. What's the um, what's that complex called where you always underestimate your where you underestimate your talent? Imposter yeah. syndrome. I mean, what you do have to remind yourself of is that you are at the top of a tree. 
you know, this tree has many branches and there are many geniuses there, but you're in that tree at least. No, I think I'm at the bottom of the tree trying to crawl my way up. You're still in the field. <laughs> I, I think there's definitely a lot of insecurities. And I think that's something that, that you see in, in John Nash. It's not, I'm, I'm not sure in the movie that they show that he wants to get the right idea, but he wants recognition of, the, of his brilliance, right? And I do think that's an ongoing theme, um, you know, in mathematics at, at as you say, right, as, at all these different mm. levels. And it happens to our undergraduates, I... right? They were... All our undergraduates were the best students in yeah, the high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden they find out what math is. And I think that that does carry on, and and we see that, and we see that with other mathematicians at various levels that are, you know, there are the, there are the true geniuses, <laughs> but but there's a lot of people that are just somewhat arrogant and rude because they've got their own insecurities. I put sorry, myself in, sorry in about that. I think mathematics is all about rejection. Well, I think academia is about rejection, really, the whole of academia. No, well, I mean, because there's this pyramid, okay, and there's, you know, a couple of professors and there's, like, you know, maybe a few more junior professors and, you know, yeah, a few and more academia sort of is a pyramid scheme. Pe- everyone so, needs the person below them working. At some point, pretty much everyone is going to fail because not you know not everyone oh, God, gets yeah, to yeah. the top yeah, yeah, yeah. um and, and and the whole point is you know you you send off a, an email to someone you apply for some funding and somebody says no you can't have funding and you know you send a paper off and somebody says no i'm sorry it's too long or it's too short or it's not good enough yeah and and the point you know mathematical criticism you know people try not to take it personally because you're criticizing the ideas sure, sure, sure. but this doesn't happen in any, you know, if you're a sportsman and, you know, you fall over and says, oh, but well, you played well, champ, you know, it wasn't your fault, you'll do well next time. I never get a letter for like that from the associate editor. Well, we really liked your paper, you know, we think you're going to do great things, just not in our journal, you know, it's always like, this is rubbish. I, I think that rejection probably happens in a lot of other things, including sport, including sport. I think that does happen there, but we probably just you think. Don't see I mean, it. I've got to say, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, media personalities yeah. <laughs> are often sacrificed in headlines. You know, that, that yeah. happens quite a lot. What about you, this? I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> do you find your sort of working environment encouraging and rewarding? Or? I mean, I, the thing is, I'm, I, I'm in charge of my team, so I try to be encouraging and rewarding. Um, although, I, somebody, um, somebody, sent me an email the other day or a text in fact the other day when I was at work and said what do you like as a boss and I um, turned to my team and I said hey guys my friends just asked what I'm like as a boss and they just all started laughing oh so you're cracking (laughs) what what do we think about John Nash's seduction technique (gasps) so just for the listeners John Nash basically goes up to somebody at a bar and says hey look let's cut the chit chit chat if you're if you're all turned on by me we're going to have squelchy sex let's go (laughs) off and do it so he's reading verbatim from the script here. <laughs> That's pretty much it. But like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, I think I'd probably say no. But, I've got like... to say, I've got to say, it's a very mathematical viewpoint because you're assuming there is an answer, and then saying, "Well, a yes. solution exists. Why can't we? Why do we need to produce the solution?" Vince, you look like a man of the world with all your own hair. So, like, what would what would happen if you were to do that? <laughs> I I wouldn't know. Uh, but I I think it's also kind of like. I mean, you know, it's obviously it's again, it's a, it's a it's a Hollywood thing. But if you think about it, it is where society's gone, right? Things like Tinder and things like that are are a lot. The of man time, has a point. You know? <laughs> the man has a point. You're right. He just invented Tinder fifty years early. John Nash basically went up to someone and said, "Do you want to do Netflix and chill?" And she was like, "No, it's the fifties. Go away." <laughs> wow. But if you think about the the era in which John Nash lived in, where there was a lot of protocol associated with yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. entering into yeah. a relationship, his and he, he didn't quite go like in an arrogant way, like, "Hey, I'm brilliant, let's get it on." Right? He he actually said, "I can't be who I am with yes. you uh, because you're going to slap me." <laughs> and then she was like, "No, please, please be yourself." And he's like, "Okay, here we go. There is this ritual. Can we just assume we've done it?" <laughs> and 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 now, please slap me. And then and then she didn't slap him. But by then, they had done a courtship. So the 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 first woman in the bar they had done a courtship by like the the 1990s standard, but they still probably had months to go by the 1950s standard, right? I mean that might be true, but in the first woman in the bar, you know he did fa- he did fail to understand that by saying that he was casting aspersions on her character um, at a time when sexual virtue was yes, yes. of incredible importance 
to society for women. Okay. So it was, oh God, it was awful. I mean, it wasn't awful. It's a good film. I recognize it's a good film. I just hated it. Um, I also really hated um, the treatment of, some of the treatment of schizophrenia. So some mm, of it mm. I liked. And obviously this is quite personal to me. I was just say, did you hate it because it was 1950s or because of the way people were portrayed? Or I just... <laughs> That's Riggins. Hi, Riggins. That's my dog. <laughs> Your wife sounds like she needs a stretch. <laughs> is she is she cross over that queuing thing still? I I think why did I hate it? I hated because I hated it because it was so Hollywoodized. If they'd honestly portrayed the nineteen fifties, I think that would have been fine. But it was the fact that everyone was beautiful and they erased his first son. They um they erased the fact that they get divorced. Okay. They okay, yeah. um and then they kind of pretend that you can cure schizophrenia just with the love of a beautiful woman. And I actually find that enormously offensive to most people with schizophrenia. This is this is a this is a careful point they actually thought about. So again, one of the lines in the film says, um, I still take the modern medication. So uh one thing Ron Howard did say is that they put that line in because they didn't want to give that impression that you could solve mental illness just through the power of your own mind and having people love you but that's later on yes so no, that at, is at true. first yes. he, he rejects the medicine he rejects the hospital yes. tre- treatment yes. and just yes. seems to improve and yes absolutely you know the um he, he is taking medication at the end at the end of the film yeah but I, I just it just made me really cross the kind of all people with schizophrenia and their families who really struggle and then kind of, oh, it will be fine. You just need this very fit woman to to love you. Um, and and just a bit of strength of character, and you can overcome it. And I was just like, oh my God, it's like a really devastating illness. And granted, they did portray that very well. And I, I kind of liked the idea that, I liked the way they had these three recurring characters, which I assumed was more just to show that he was still having the symptoms of schizophrenia. It's interesting what what you say, Liz, and especially with your your perspective. Like I, because I, I, but my point from the movie was more I got like, wow, how how horrid a disease is is schizophrenia, mm. having mm. no no experience of that in my own my own life, you know. So so it almost had the opposite effect from me, you know. And and even for me, it wasn't like oh he's got a beautiful woman, so he's cured. I didn't get that. <laughs> I got I got this ongoing struggle where he felt that he he had to stop taking the medicine to be able to be a husband mm, and mm. then even when they were working together and he put his uh, and it, it felt like a really slow process over the years that you see him aging and still having these episodes and, and things like that so mm, mm. um right so uh, does anyone else have anything they want to say about the movie or shall we head to the math to the math zone to the math zone <laughs> So Liz, I I I promise I'm very interested in what questions you have because I've got no questions. There was hardly any maths in this for me. So please, what what well, questions do you have? So my first question is, what is game theory? So so game theory is a, a field of of mathematics, um, computer science, economics, biology uh, that studies um, interactions. Um, but importantly, it doesn't study interactions using probability, which is often what we do, right? We often, we being mathematicians, we often say, if you know that your opponent is going to uh, pick this 20% of the time, what should you do, right? But then you're not, you're not really worrying about what your opponent should do. You're replacing your opponent with a, a very dumb probability. You've got, you've got a probability okay? distribution um, and you're not thinking about what they're thinking yeah. about. It's just, here's, here's the numbers. Yeah. So, so game theory is the study of basically lots of people making decisions at the right at the same time, um, and so that that it's it's the inter it's the study of interactions of intelligent agents. And uh, just just to clarify that, does it have to be multiple interactions? I, I normally think of game theory as sort of player versus player. Uh, by multiple interactions, I mean not necessarily repeated interactions, which I'm, I'm guessing is how you're impre- interpreting what I just said. No, I, I mean um, multiple agents. Uh, so so. And their interactions are from their own point of view, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Really, game theory is if you know the rules, if you know the system. Ah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Measure, measuring the behavior out of that. Right. So, 
the the bar scene in the movies uh, is a good example mm. of that in that um he 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 realizes if everyone does what was the the state of the art in mathematical theory of interactions at the time um then that wouldn't describe the optimal behavior um, so the bar the bar that. scene for the listeners we should just say there were uh, there were four or five pretty girls came in n plus 1 girls and n boys and one was exceptionally pretty according to the boys <laughs> And all of the boys would have gone for the pretty girl, which would have uh, annoyed the uh, other not-quite-so-pretty girls. So the boys had a bit of a conflab and decided all to go for the slightly less pretty girls and leave the most pretty girl uh, on her own on the basis that then uh, they would uh, all win by getting a pretty girl. Now, this might be going back to what you were saying about being sexist. <laughs> There's, I'm not sure. No, it's, de- it's definitely things that are not ideal about, about that scene. Um, but... <laughs> It's actually a really, really good scene. Uh, again, if we just replace it with anything else. <laughs> Any <laughs> um, other issue. No, it's fine. It's fine. I've had my run. You just carry on. The really cool thing is, is this, the, the, the conversation that they all, that, that these you know, world-leading mathematicians all have, and they essentially cite what was thought to be the, yeah. the justification for all of the side of the Cold War that they were on. Well, it was the um, principle of the guiding hand, that if you're all working for yourself, you work for the good of society as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, 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 if everyone does what they want to do, then uh, if everyone does what's best for them, then the best thing will happen. So it's essentially the, yep, so if we follow the mathematics, we should all compete freely. And that's the point that, that John Nash, as he says, he realizes that Smith is incomplete. And, and, and so essentially, um, up until that point, game theory really was the study of what are called zero-sum games, mm, so mm. Um, a game where if I win, you yeah, lose. Yeah. Um, and and in that setting, then then that theory is complete. That that, that you should everyone should do what's best for themselves. But um, but there are cases of win-win scenarios. If we yeah, and this 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 cases where the game is not competitive at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, that 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 and and that kind of idea of non-competitiveness kind of comes back again and again and again throughout the movie, like. The scene where he has to teach for the first time, and he's like, "Why do I have to teach?" And he hate, and he throws the book in the thing. And there's a scene where there, the one of the students, um, it's a scene where we meet Alicia, right? One of the students says, um, Can "Oh, I close oh, the yes, yes, yeah." She talks. There's um, a group of workmen outside making noise, yeah, and he yeah. shuts the window, um, but they say, "Oh, it's too hard, it's too hard." And he's like, "Well, you're either in here doing my maths or you leave." Well, he's he says. Your utility, that's not the word he uses, but your utility to be able to, to hear is oh, lesser than yes, my utility. Yes. To, so in other words, he places that situation in a zero-sum game, right? Yeah. Um, there, there, he's optimizing least, his benefit, yeah. Yeah, placing it in a zero-sum game. He goes, no, we're, we're in competition, we're just going to do the same thing. But then Alicia goes up and solves the problem in a different way, getting them both to an optimal be- Although, situation. Although, I can't... If you popped your head out and said, would you mind going away for 40 minutes? I can't... I, that was the most unbelievable part of the movie for me. Uh, sure, sure. But When but, I was a maths teacher, my school was next to a sewage plant. <laughs> what? If one day, if like the wind was blowing the wrong way, it would be a poo day where it just reeked of poo outside. Um, and also, in uh, in my classroom, the heating was broken. Right. So it was always really hot. So at the beginning of my classes, I'd be like, right, guys, do you want it, do you want it hot or do you want the poo? Everyone, you've got to make a decision. And uh, we'd make a decision. This this glamorous life that I used to lead. Uh... That theme comes again right at the end. So this, this constant search for recognition, when he's competing with... Um, Hansen, and at the very last, one of the very last scenes of the movie, where John Nash, you know, he comes kind of, kind of comes back sheepishly to Princeton, and Hansen goes, mm, mm. Um, no, and he says to Hansen, he says, "So you won," and and Hansen goes, "No, nobody wins," and so there's there's loads of these little winks at his underlying theory and what he developed as a mathematician. You, I've really got to say, you're opening my eyes, Vince, to this. I, I've, I I'm ashamed to say I saw none of this. This is this is good. I like this. Why did anyone start doing game theory? Like, who had the idea of, like, I'm going to put some maths in a game? Am I right in thinking this was John von Neumann original? Neumann and Morgenstern were kind of the two people that really studied game theory, first of all. and But no one really um, looked at their way. They, they thought it was, okay, that's nice, but it's not useful. Yeah. It's one of the one of the bad things about game theory. It's what I say at the beginning when I, I teach game theory uh, to our final year students. And I, I start my module by saying, 
If you thought I was going to teach you how to play video games, this is not what it's about. And a lot of how you can win a Monopoly! <laughs> yeah, exactly. How you can win a Monopoly is, a, is people always go like, oh, so you're really good at Monopoly. And I'm like, that's, that's not what game theory is. That, that's, that's the theory of a game. But um, so, so I think people, as soon as they started looking at interactions, right? And they said, well, can we model these interactions? So the early beginnings of, of game theory were, were before Nash's time, kind of when it was still... Before it got stuck and, and Nash got it unstuck, mm, mm. Uh, there was a, a French mathematician called Cournot, and, and Cournot built a very simple game that was essentially if, if you're setting the price of how much you're going to sell something, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I'm uh, no sorry how much how much stuff you're going to produce, and I'm a similar firm, and I have to decide how much stuff I'm going to produce. Mm-hmm. Is there a price that will be an equilibrium yeah, price okay. for us to? To do that, so as soon as there was interactions, that's when game theory started. Really, but it's, uh, as I can see, it always comes from that economic point of view of how can I optimize my wares. My, wait, my wait, sale. wait! Because yeah, really nice. could you could you help me win Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> Be the banker. Be the banker. That's how you win. <laughs> The trick with Monopoly is to, to get the, the, the lands that are the, the property just after the prison because probabilistically yeah. you're going to be there yeah. more often. But that's not a game theoretic argument. That's just probability. So do we want to play a game? So Ben, is this a kind of jigsaw game of I do want to play a game? Or... <laughs> no. Um, I th- so I, th- I think this is a game within um, Vince's um, definition. I, I'm, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and it's based on a game called uh, Nim. Okay, so this is something we can play over the air. Um, Ooh, okay. And Thomas, okay. I'd like you Hello? to I'd like you to be the scorer, Thomas. Okay. okay. Well, so after each, after each after each turn, you have to shout out the number of points that are left in the hat. Oh, okay. Blimey. It's going to be the first time Thomas has scored in some time. <laughs> okay. So we're going to start. First time I've counted start. in a long time. There's ten coins in our imaginary hat. So ten coins Thomas, in hat. Could you just shout out ten in a sing-song voice? Ten Very golden good. coins. Okay. Ah. Right. So the contenders con- are going to be Liz. Right. You will go on his first whistle. Can I have a Can I have a gladiator name? Uh, you could be Lizard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Vince can be the knight, uh, and Vince can be the knight. So remember, this random person on podcast, Vince, expert in game theory. Okay. <laughs> on your go, you're allowed to take either one, two, or three coins out of the hat. Yeah? Okay. Who, ha, what's the winning criterion? Whoever takes the last coin loses. Oh, man. I'm always rubbish at these. Okay. Okay. So ten, ten coins. <laughs> Vince has got his pencil on paper, but no, he hasn't. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed that. You're not allowed. Liz, the question is, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Oh, man. I'm going to go second. Mm-hmm. Score, how many in the hat? Ten golden okay. coins. Vince, how many coins do you take? I think three. Seven golden coins. Liz, your turn. Three. Oh, no, wait, not three. <laughs> not three. Two. I've changed my mind. Two. Five golden coins. So that that, that was well played. <laughs> you can't give up yet. <laughs> How are you taking, Vince? I'll take one. I'll take one. But that's that's the that's the point. I believe you're you're making four golden coins. And I have to make him take the last one. So I'll take three. Exactly. One golden coin. And Vince, you have to take the last one. Yep, I have to take one. So you lose the first game of Nim. <laughs> so that, that that point at which you wanted to take three at seven. And you stopped yourself taking three at seven was because yeah. you realized, I believe by the look in your face, that if you'd taken three at seven, that I, I would have won. Um, that was yeah. a very game theoretic that was a very game theoretic argument in your mind. Because you were working it back, I assume the way you had done it is like we need to leave one, so three back from that is four. So if there's anything less than four, Vince can always win. Yeah, well I, so I was thinking, um, I at first was thinking, well let's just get it really low. And then we okay. can start, like, edging around each other. And then I was like, no, I made it too low. <laughs> I think the crucial question there is probably, do you want to go first or second? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're a big board gamer, aren't you, Vince? I do like board games. Yeah, I do like board games. Um, and and my, my, my wife takes tremendous pleasure in beating them at me because she keeps on going, like, oh, you're a game theorist and I beat them. But, um, yeah, no. <laughs> so, what would you say is your win-loss ratio? Oh, you'd probably have to ask my wife because I'm probably going to bias this. <laughs> We went, uh, we went on a trip, uh, my wife, I, and two other mathematicians, and uh, we played Risk, 
um, the board game. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How long was the trip? Like, uh, you could uh, never finish a game of Risk. Risk is like, no, it's like marriage. It goes on forever and ever. <laughs> I don't like playing a lot of games of Risk. Um, we ended up playing a lot of Risk. And um, and I love Risk. And uh, I consider myself very strategic, you know, and I have all that. But my wife takes great pleasure at reminding me that she won every game of Risk that was played. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, so, so, yeah. So, actually, that brings me on very neatly something else I was going to ask about, which is can you use game theory to win wars? I, I'm, I'm getting from your, your questions, Liz, perhaps uh, wanting to know what the hell it's all for. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, my my specific area of, of, of game theory uh, is interested in behavior. Um, where does cooperative behavior, how does cooperative behavior emerge? Um, you know, when you interact with another human being, you're a very complicated thing, right? Taking their, out, their mm-hmm. outputs and your inputs and deciding how you're going to act. So you can use game theory to study that. John Nash's PhD supervisor had a part to play in that. <laughs> okay. Well, but fundamentally, John Nash did as well, because all, all of game theory really comes comes down to him now. But, mm-hmm. um, another huge area of, uh, of game theory relevant to our people who are in this call, and it's, it's mentioned at the end of um, uh, the, the movie and like the, the printy bits that they put up, is evolutionary game theory. So in the 70s, uh, mm. a, a guy called Maynard Smith took John Nash's ideas and extended them to an evolutionary context. So yeah, yeah and yeah. and so mathematical biology has a, has a huge a huge amount of potential for. Game I mean, there's, there's always the question of you know should uh, species cooperate? Essentially, all we are are machines to get our genes to the next level at a very basic level. So what? strategies are best to do that should we help each other as a community because then we share our genes to get to the next level or are we in it all for ourselves huh and what did what's the answer kind of like in that bar scene that we keep going back to um Mm, mm. is is that essentially it it depends on the environment and it's not as simple as everyone just doing what they want and it's kind of it's often game is often used to kind of say this was one of the and it's 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 a misunderstanding of Darwin's original theory, right? The, a misunderstanding that Darwin just said the survival of the fittest kind of yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah. That as it it just means that the lion's always going to survive, right? And why are there small antelope around if if the lion's always going to survive? The lion's the fittest. Right? Exactly. Exactly. A project myself and uh, well, it's, it's really my PhD student is uh, is doing. Um, I'm gonna. I was gonna mention. I'm gonna make her listen to this. So hi, Nicoletta. Hi, Nicoletta. I know her. <laughs> Two <laughs> listeners. Yay! <laughs> and my mum is looking at rhino poaching. Um, so yeah, rhinos. I thought you'd talk so about. So to defend against rhino poaching, uh, what is often done by the rhino manager, so by the by the good people, is to take the horn off the rhino because if there's nothing there of worth, then yeah, just, yeah. then they're not going to be ki- they're not going to be killed, but. What you see in... I mean, it's kind of like, you know, those vans on the side that said there are no tools in here left overnight, so there's no point breaking in. Pretty much exactly like that, right? <laughs> um, Let's write a paper, yeah, Vince! No, I've already got the model. We just have to change the number. Exactly, there you go. Carry on, sorry. But, but the, what you get is you get two types of behavior in the poachers. Some of them that... Because tracking a rhino is extremely difficult and uh, mm. costly and, 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 uh, and risky. And um, you'll get poachers that will nonetheless kill a rhino that's had it that's been dehorned because there's always some horn that's left oh so even they'll risk it even for that even for that tiny wow. bit right that wow. tiny bit and um so you get these two behaviors that exist right the 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 rhino poachers that go that rhino doesn't have a horn i'll leave it which is what we want um or yep. rhino poachers who go i i have to get some return for my efforts and um so some work that, that Nicoletta has done is to build a game theoretic model of that behavior and seeing what behavior mm. becomes stable over time. So um, can we get a situation where being a selective rhino poacher is actually stable mm. behavior? Because then you can use that game theoretic model to inform... Yeah, yeah. To, to say what situation you need to create to create exactly. that. That's fantastic. And is this published yet? Um, no, the bastards keep on rejecting it, but we're working on it. <laughs> ah, well, then you can't tell us the result then. You can't tell us the result because we'll just steal spoiler, it. Yeah. Nicoletta, Nicoletta, you keep trying, all right? We believe Nicoletta's in you. No, seriously, yeah, rejection yeah, is all part of the course, yeah, as we've said. Part of it. <laughs> but uh, as, but uh, if you can give us a sneak peek, is there a situation where you can make uh, it, it stable that, you know, the, 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 there being no point to hunting rhinos? 
So only in the presence of a huge disincentive, a huge asymmetric disincentive. So um, okay, okay. So you take a rhino's horn, we take you. Yeah, essentially. And only if you have right. that really, really heavy disincentive is rhino is um, is dehorning valuable in our model. Is that kind of sad then? Because yes. there is no situation where you can discourage poaching. Uh, I mean, uh, that's a really sad uh, case. Our, our model, which is very important to say, our model would of course, of course, uh, would kind of say that dehorning um, is not a good technique, um, is not is not effective. Mm. Oh, so, uh, one thing I want to get back to that Vince mentioned is this idea of stability, because that's a huge uh, idea in game theory, if I understand right, because there are solutions where everyone gets, you know, I mean, the, the classic example is the prisoner's dilemma. So the, the idea, the, the idea is if, if one of you confesses that the other person did it, they get a year in prison. Uh, if the other person confesses, you get a year in prison. If you both confess, you both get six months. If none of you confess, you all go free. So the solution there would be to everyone to cooperate. But that's an unstable equilibrium, isn't it, Ben? So I just wanted to pick out that idea a bit more about stability. Well, How do you know when something's stable and when it isn't? Yeah, I mean, that, that's not actually an equilibrium at all, right? Um, because if, let's say, you and I, Thomas, and if we're both keeping quiet, I immediately yep. get less time in prison if I confess, right? Um, yeah, So, exactly, yeah. So that's not an equilibrium at all, from a game theory point of view, I mean, in that... In that okay, it, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, so how would you make it an equilibrium? Then? So it, it's... You can't. <laughs> that's not an equilibrium. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's just not that's even That's not right. an equilibrium, okay. because, because both of us would be silly... To keep quiet. To be at that point, yeah. yeah. So, so that that that's. But um, what is an equilibrium is both of us confessing. Um, yes. Which which results in us going to prison for way longer, right? And so what we've got there is that the social good and the social good in our case is you and I, right? Um, going yeah. to prison, yeah, yeah. going free. That's good socially, <laughs> but individually we can even go to prison for even less. So I think the numbers aren't quite right, but, sure. but that kind of idea. So. Um, and that's that's what John Nash did. Okay, so that brings us on. Let's come on to Nash's equilibrium. Hit me. So John Nash proved that in any strategic interaction, there always exists a position, and by position I mean a set of actions by all the individuals, by all the a, players. A decision yeah, set. A, 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 a global set of decisions. Um, at which no one has a reason to move. Um, no one has a reason. To was this constructive mind. or was it existence? No, program? his proof is existence. It's actually a very clever proof. Uh... Um, that's what he did. He he proved that there's always an equilibrium at which no one has a reason to deviate. Um, and so, for example, and that's the stable kind. And that's, that's the, the stable, stable kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, can you give us a real life example of a stable equilibrium? For example, let's say uh, we didn't have cell phones. Let's say that. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just all imagine that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just. And, 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 uh, and end of podcast! <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have. And by no cell phones, I mean we don't have a way to coordinate, right? Sure, sure, sure. And Liz, you wanted to go to. You, you and your, your your partner wanted to go to a uh, a restaurant for for an evening out, and you prefer restaurant A. They prefer restaurant B, but uh, fundamentally, you also prefer going to the restaurant together. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. I was. I guess I was. I was just thinking you've misunderstood my relationship because I mean we. we get... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean we should tell the listeners before we came on the air we did ask where Liz's partner was and he's in Scotland at the moment so you know they're not going to any restaurants together at the moment but. Let's talk about me and Lorraine. Let's talk about me and Lorraine. No, no, only real people. <laughs> I want to go to McDonald's. Thomas, you want to go to Pizza Hut, okay? Um, I do, and, I do. And we want to go to the restaurant together. And we would. You know me so well, but I'm going to Pizza Hut. Screw you. Can, can I suggest, like, maybe we compromise, get a takeaway? <laughs> we could both end up in McDonald's. We could both end up in Pizza Hut. Or I could end up in McDonald's, and Thomas could end up in Pizza Hut. Yep, yep. Or vice versa. So, hey, hey, where's... Where's Liz then? I've I've gone to my favourite restaurant and I've taken my husband with me. I don't know why anyone finds this difficult to understand. And Thomas and I fundamentally want to sit down and write our paper together on um, yes, uh, whatever it was. On vans that don't keep their tools in the exactly overnight. on vans that don't keep their tools overnight. So uh, okay. more important to us than the actual meal is is writing that paper, right? So as long as we actually end up in the same restaurant, we're both happy. Okay. Okay, but, so that's what we're trying to optimize, is our existence together. Yeah, right? But I am ever so slightly happier if that same restaurant is McDonald's, because I prefer McDonald's, right? 
Oh, are you getting a kickback from McDonald's? I'm not getting a kickback. <laughs> other, other fast food Just checking. Are, are available. Just, and, <laughs> uh, Just checking. And Thomas, Thomas would be slightly happier if we're in uh, Pizza Hut, right? Now, exponentially so. So there are there are four situations that can occur by our decisions, and there are actually three equilibria for this game. So three Nash equilibria for this game. Ooh. Now, the first Nash equilibria is that okay. we're both at McDonald's. So if we happen to find ourselves both yeah. at McDonald's, yeah. even though Tom- we're both happy, we're both happy. Thomas would yeah. be slightly happier in Pizza Hut, but if he just changes and goes to pizza hut i'm still in mcdonald's so he becomes a lot less happier because he's not getting that research paper out of this meeting ah so if i've made that decision i know you're there yeah. then i become a lot less if happy. that's what right, we're doing okay, happy with that. Yeah. thomas moves he becomes happier so if we're both sat in mcdonald's thomas has no reason to change okay ah, i see okay. and that's why it's an equilibrium okay. <clears throat> and that's why it's an equilibrium and it's a stable equilibrium because no one has a reason to change i have no reason to change because a I'm going to get the paper out of it. And B, it's in the restaurant I, I prefer. All right? We have Excellent. we have okay. the symmetric situation, all right, um, where we're in Pizza Hut. Where we're both in Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking longingly at McDonald's, and uh, <laughs> I, but I'm not going to go there because as soon as I step outside of the pizza... I thought you were looking longingly at me. <laughs> I don't know, come on. At the research There's a candle paper. lit here. At the research candle paper. Candlelit Pizza Hut. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so those are two stable equilibria, right? Um, yeah. Well, uh-huh. To use the game theoretic vocabulary, they're equilibria. They're equilibria. And then what we have is a, f- a third equilibria, which is neither of us are communicating. We know we're going to meet at one of those two restaurants this evening. And okay. we've got no real reason, no real way to choose which one to do it. So what we're actually going to do is, is choose randomly. But we're going to choose randomly according to a certain probability. So I might say, I'm going to choose Pizza Hut with an 80% chance. Or some some probability, and that's what's called a mixed Nash equilibria. So it's a Nash equilibria in mixed strategies, and by mixed we mean that we're actually mixing between our our, our two strategies, which are McDonald's and Burger King and uh, Pizza Hut. Pardon me. So it's like as soon as we are essentially randomly choosing these things with that equilibria, and we can compute what the probabilities should be, that also becomes mm-hmm. a place that now if Thomas starts going to Pizza Hut a little bit more often then he's going to be worse off. I see, I see. Okay. And so those are three e- equilibria. What about if you're both in Pizza Hut? You're like, do you know what? I think Thomas wants to write this paper with me enough that he'll follow me to McDonald's. <laughs> then it never makes sense for you to leave McDonald's, I suppose. But it doesn't then make sense for you to leave because you're like, well, he'll come. The difference there is that what you're describing is something that's no longer a game because then we're just making coordinated a coordinated decision that we're moving together right and then we're just one agent um any more questions liz no in that case i'm done i'm done excellent excellent so as we all know it is time for the puzzle zone the puzzle zone the puzzle zone thank you vince for joining <laughs> in <laughs> I'm going to present is actually a puzzle that occurs in the film. They they talk about it in the background, and it's about a fly on the bicycle. So um, the way it's phrased uh, is a fly is travelling between two bicycles, but the way I've got it phrased is a fly between two trains. So that's what I'm going to use. Um, so we have two trains are on the same track, a distance a hundred kilometers apart, heading directly towards one another, and each are travelling at a speed of fifty kilometers per hour. Why are they metric trains? Because, because. <laughs> I think most of our audience are going to be British or American, so like using kilometres is just going to confuse everyone. Well, but they're easier to do maths with. <sighs> Did I make you lose your train of thought, Tom? Oh. <laughs> You're really going off the rails, Ben. There's two trains which are 63.7 miles above. <laughs> <laughs> ben, you can translate at the end for our imperial cousins. 100 kilometers apart, traveling Miles. towards each other, 50 kilometers per hour. Miles. A fly starts out on the front of one train, flies directly at a speed of 75 kilometers per hour Miles. to the other train. Upon the other reach, upon reaching the other train, the fly turns around immediately and flies directly back to the first train and keeps doing this back to the first train, to the second, back to the first, to the second, until eventually the trains hit each other and the fly is squashed. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Why doesn't why doesn't the fly? <laughs> Fly sideways. What? Because it's a fly. It's not a crab. 
Flies fly straight. They don't fly sideways. How many kilometers does the fly travel before it gets squashed in the collision between the two trains? We we could film it. We could film this. This could be a War on the Fly documentary. Oh, oh dear Lord. How long have you been wanting to do that one then? Anyway. Since you started telling this puzzle. Very nice, very nice. This, this puzzle actually goes back to John von Neumann. It said that he was given this puzzle. And uh, there is a way you can solve it using an infinite series. You say, okay, the fly flies here, then it flies back, then it flies there, flies back, flies there. And so you can add it all up. Um, There is a nicer, neater way. If you think about it, you can do it in a nicer, neater way. John von Neumann was asked this question, and he answered it almost immediately with the correct answer, as he would. And they said, oh, you saw the quick way of doing it, and not the summing of the infinite series way. And he goes, no, I summed the infinite series just really quickly. (laughs) So there you go. However you do it, however you want to do it, however, if you want to solve the infinite series or solve it in a clever way, I do not care. Just tell me, how far has that fly flown before it gets squashed between the two trains? I think that's a very a very sad puzzle. Is there, are there any people on the train? No, 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 no. Only flies. Is it, is it fly driving the train? <laughs> yes. It's, uh, just, it... Wait, I mean, it's not going to be in Britain anyway. I mean, maybe it's some continental railway where they don't care about their flies. They, they, they were transporting flies across the border, and unfortunately right. it all went wrong. There's, there's, there's two flies driving a train towards each other. <laughs> yes, by mistake. With another fly in the middle. Yes. What have they got against the other fly? He was talking about their mums, Liz. So, hold on. You've got two flies that are intelligent enough to drive trains, and another fly, and another fly... That doesn't even know how to fly sideways. File score zone. This doesn't sound very plausible to me, Thomas. File score zone. <laughs> Final score zone. So, Ben, Liz, and Vince, would you like to furnish me with an imaginary scale and a score upon that scale for how good you think the film was and how good you think the maths in the film was? Quality of maths and film. Ben, Ben, would you like to start then? I'll certainly finish first. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to rate the uh, 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 the uh, film out of 100 miles per hour. Um, and um, I, 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 yeah, I quite liked it. I like the beginning much more than I like the end. It slowed down a bit for me. So um, I'm going to give it uh, 53 miles per hour. Okay. And um, I'm going to rate the uh, the maths in the film uh, out of 75 miles an hour. Um, oh, this is really hard because the maths was really quite interesting, but it was just, just so brief. Um, rather like um, John Nash's thesis. So I'm going to rate that uh, <laughs> 20 out of 75. So Liz. Okay, Liz, what, what did you think? So I'm going to rate mine out of 1950. Um, okay. And oh. any reason for that? Well, because it's kind of when most of the film takes place. And oh, okay, okay. Um, I so my problem is is I do think it has merit to it, and I understand it is a, you know a kind of well put together film. But I hated it. I hated it. I hated it so much. I hated just how much they just <laughs> Hollywoodized what was probably an incredibly interesting and complex man's life um, yeah. into this kind of and you know you you can't forgive the total lack of agency really that any of Fair them had. It's very difficult. Fair enough. Um, so uh, I'm going to give it for the film. I'm going to give it fifty. 500. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, for the maths, I'm going to give it a higher score because even though I know they didn't dwell on it very often, I do think the bar scene with the women did, like, very effectively explain (gasps) what they were trying to get at, and that was really good. So I did actually kind of learn something in the film. So I'm going to give it a thousand. Wow. Okay, very nice, very Pretty nice. Good. So still only half marks at 90 out of 1950. Uh, Vince, could you furnish us a scale? Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days, trying to come up with something really original. I'm, I'm just, You've done I'm just way more research than we ever do. <laughs> they pulled it out of their hats. 
I'm just going to go out of 10. I'm just going to go out of 10. Oh, at least go um, out of 28, so which is the number of You've been thinking you it for two days and you just came out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the best thing well. you can do. Uh, no, can we get no, can we get your dog back in to mark it out? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What does Riggins think? Um, so no, m- movie wise, uh, I, it's it's one of my favorite movies. So uh, I'm going to give it uh, an eight Ooh. out of ten. No. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Mass wise, I think out of the maths movies, it's it's one of the movies that I think does a, a really good job mass wise. Um, even aside from the mathematics relevant to John Nash, you know, there's the scene of the tie pattern, they play Go, uh, mm-hmm. the bar scene, obviously, he teaches multivariable calculus, the problem he puts on the board. Is a, <laughs> does he? A, does he really? Yeah, he, th- he throws a multivariable calculus book in the bin very well. <laughs> uh, you know, he he um, he talks about number theory, He you know, and, and none of it is kind of fake, as in like a lecture yeah. that starts yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. ends. So, um, but more importantly, I think the underpinning of mathematics that keeps on going throughout the, the story itself. I don't know if that was conscious decision by the, by it the must writers, have been. It but, must have been. but it, it's very cleverly done, and the bar scene is is fantastic um, way of explaining the theory. So I think mathematics for me is a nine out of ten. Excellent. Ooh. Okay, so it falls to me. It falls to me. Um, for the film, I wasn't a fan because I, I I really think you could make this film about anyone. There was nothing there of John Nash for me. It just, because of the the whole uh, second act of probably first act going to the second act where it is all in his mind, it's, you could do that about anyone. So I'm, I'm oh, I should give you my scale. I'm going to give it out of the prisoner's dilemma. So <laughs> for the film, I'm going to give it a defect. Um, for the film, I'm defecting. For the maths, I've actually been converted by what Vince has said. It's actually a lot cleverer than I gave it uh, credit for because I thought it was just all writing on the window and, you know, it's in the background. But as you've specified, they really do weave it in the story of all the different kind of games they play. So I, I've i been converted. I'm going to give the maths in this film a, um, a cooperation. A cooperation. <laughs> uh, the film is a defect. The film is a cooperation. And so with that, would, are there any other points that people would like to raise? Yes, oh, thank you very much for having me on. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. pleasure. Oh, well, thank you very much for coming. And um and Vince, Vince, you need to promise me that you're going to write a paper with me before you write a paper with Thomas. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be sad. And but he could optimise that by writing a paper with all of us. How about I suggest that Riggins promises that, and Thomas, maybe I'll chat to you next week. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Excellent. But, but no, Excellent. Thank you very much. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy the podcast, so, so I hope you guys keep doing it thank you uh, it, it's been a pleasure to have you thank oh, you so, and, and it's been very good because i know nothing about game theory and i and i personally have learned a lot from this it's been a it's been a pleasure and so with that i have been thomas woolley i have been the fly-by-night ben parker <laughs> i've been this do i say this bit or you can yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like we practice bits like we practiced <laughs> <laughs> Bring the dog back. Bring the dog back to say goodbye. Invite <laughs> me back to do another one. I don't know why. <laughs> you can follow us on Mathsat at Mathsat on Twitter. You can follow the website at mathsat.co.uk. Uh, look for us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Vince at Dr. Vince Knight, is it? Dr. Vince Knight, yep. Dr. Yep. Vince Knight on, on Twitter. And with that, we have been Mathsat, winning at maths, losing at life. Good night. I'm still worried about this fly. (laughs) This podcast is a Random Walks production performed by Thomas Woolley, Ben Parker and the enigmatic Liz. Intro and outro music was Clonky Donkey by Nikolai Heidlas and the incidental stings were Cartoon Bank Heist from YouTube Audio Library.